0: I'm Alex Ratkeen, a barrister at 13 Essex Chambers specialising in mental capacity and mental health law and I'm very glad today to be joined and actually yet another incredibly hot day so if I look hot and bothered it's the temperature not the subject matter. I'm really glad to be joined in the shed today by Dr Magda Fogalska um, and Anyone who's ever heard one of these before or seen one of these before will know that I actually don't like introducing the person. I think it's far more interesting and important that they get to introduce themselves. So, Magda, over to you. Tell us a bit about yourself.
1: Well, thank you, Alex, and thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, So I'm Magda Frugalska and I'm a lecturer in law at York, University of York, I should say, um, at the law school. And I have two research lives, uh, as I like to call it. So my first research life is about mental health law and looking at decision making processes related to treatment of people with mental health or mental ill health. My second research life is um, more to do with health law and reproduction and I specialize in abortion laws and I take human rights approach to that very uh, very often. Um, but the biggest thing about me is that I am a big believer in empirical research and in empirical research informing what we know and how we learn about the law. Um, so I do tend to do research that is focused around collecting original data. And um, the previous research and the the kind of paper that stemming from this research was on the idea of advanced consent, uh, the idea of self-binding to a specific treatment in specific circumstances.
0: I'm not going to ask you questions about that, Magda, because it's so it's such an interesting topic. And what I will do is put a link on on the bottom of the page associated with this to your work there, because it's super interesting and super important. But the reason I one of the reasons I wanted to have you in the shed, well, actually, the specific reason I wanted to have you in the shed was in relation to a paper which is just recently come out and hooray it's open access so we can I'll share again share the link there and that's and that's thinking um about the kind of concept of insight and things things mm-hmm. are in in that zone so can you just as it were give me the give us the elevator pitch for the paper and then we can sort of get into you know what you were doing and why you were doing it
1: sure So in this paper, I look at how the clinical concept of insight interacts with various laws that we have in place. Uh, And so maybe I will begin by defining what I mean by insight. And, And by insight, I rely on the definition of Anthony David's definition, which is the most influential definition of insight. And it has three characteristics. So the first one is that a person recognizes that they are mentally ill. So it's an acknowledgement of one's mental illness I would suggest a presence of insight as would a compliance with doctor's advice and treatment advice. And finally, it's a person's ability to relabel unusual events like delusions or hallucinations as uh, pathological. So in order to have insight, you need to demonstrate those three things, or at least one of them, depending on the context. Now, um. Insight has been criticized quite heavily from the scientific community over the years for lacking the scientific objectivity. For um, so, so, so there's one side of this. And then we have laws on um, voluntary or involuntary commitments of people to mental uh, health institutions where, where they experience um, very often forced treatment. And what I've noticed, uh, so this was a completely, um, if you like, a spontaneous finding, is that people very often talked about the experiences in relation to insight. So they will say, I was admitted to a hospital as a voluntary patient because I was able to show insight, or I was informed, I was sectioned instead. I was on compulsory resection because I didn't demonstrate insight, but actually they just didn't listen to me. And this kept coming up so often in the interview, in interviews with people that I decided to dig deeper. And once I realized what the definition of insight actually is, I realized how much people talk about the need for compliance uh, in psychiatric care, which is quite different to, to, to how healthcare in general is experienced um, by by people, I think. Um, So the paper really looks at how insight acts acts as a extra legislative criteria for different psychiatric interventions and how it's so invisible to us lawyers, how we don't really think about insight and how it permeates the law.
0: So you mentioned interviews and you mentioned your interest in empirical work, sort of just, just give us a handle on um, give us an insight, give us an insight into how you went about sort of developing your, your thought processes here. Uh,
1: the, the empirical work itself. Yes. Yes, so I spoke with uh, 12 people. So it's a small data, but I wasn't really interested in finding kind of claims that could be generalized from. I was more interested in understanding the experience and giving people the space to actually talk about their experience. And I developed a framework for interviews that are, I think, quite unusual for, for lawyers to do. So it's a narrative interview f- followed by a photo elicitation interview. And essentially, I would meet with each person, and in the narrative interview, I would tell them, "Tell me your story." And I wouldn't tell them what I was interested in as such. They knew what the subject of the um, of the uh, the research were, um, and what I was interested in. But they were free to tell the story as they wished. And so very often people panicked uh, thinking, oh, what do you mean? You will not ask me questions. Like, how do I just tell my story? And I said, hey, just, you know, tell me how you came to receive treatment. What was it like? Um, and people actually found it quite easy and cathartic uh, to be able to tell a story in that way. I would then go away, look at their story, think about how different aspects of the story relate to law and the things that I'm interested in and I would turn up to the photo elicitation interview with some questions formulated around people's stories. And we would begin the interview by me inviting the people I was speaking with to show me the photographs that would enable me to understand their experience a bit better. And so people could show me photographs they already had and tell me stories around them or they could prepare photographs specifically for the interview. And it was a really useful exercise because actually triggered people's memory. um, And so they would add to the stories that they told me prior to um, to the second interview. Uh, And then I would ask questions around stories that were relevant to the law. Okay, and then we would have a more kind of concrete discussion about certain experiences like force, admission, uh, mental capacity uh, and so on and so forth. And um, once I went away, at this point, I didn't really kind of realise the role that insight played in those experiences until I came to the analysis and I realized okay. that insight kept coming up and coming up and just in the interview, I guess because I was focused on certain things as a, as a new researcher, if you like, I didn't really understand at that point how important insight was and how much it featured in, in the data. I think I ended up with something like 60 pages of just quotes on insight. Um, and so, just
0: a bit interesting. So, I mean, that's fascinating. Yeah. That, that it's you're going in there. I mean, obviously you're not going there completely blank. You're going in there with you know various things you are interested in. But what you're just the insight is, as it were, being self-generated by mm-hmm. by the people you were talking to as something which was cropping up and up and up. Which is that's really interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, so it made me understand that this obviously is a really big part of people's experiences. Yeah, but at the same time that we're not really giving it enough attention as lawyers and not really thinking about how appropriate it is to use insight to decide whether someone should be sectioned or not and to decide whether someone should receive treatment or not and so I started to think how this kind of works with with the principles that that underpin the laws that govern the the regulation of mental health uh system
0: fascinating so i mean you didn't j- just to sort of double down on the empirical side you you it's it you weren't as it were cross-checking the experience of the people you were talking with with those people who might have been involved in the decision making i mean either in you know in the to individual case or cross-checking with you know asking psychiatrists, what do you think you're talking about?
1: No, no, I didn't do that. And, and there are reasons for it. So I was really interested in the experience of, of people themselves, first of all. Secondly, there is a lot of research actually on insights, uh, the role of insights and the views of psychiatrists. So the empirical research tends to come from the psychiatrist rather than people themselves, how people experience insight. And Also, what was really important to me is that I didn't deny the credibility of my participants. So I didn't want people to feel that I wasn't believing what they were saying, and that I was also part of that problem of not believing people in the first place. So I absolutely took what they said um as as truth.
0: Yeah, no, no, and I think one of the reasons for asking is, I mean, a just so people are absolutely clear, and b because. I suppose one question in my mind is, 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 it would be so interesting to be the fly on the wall at the conversations mm. themselves, because, and I wonder whether your interviews can, can or your, your studies of in the interviews can help us with this, that you might well have a situation, I mean, were, were the people you were talking to saying, the people I was being assessed by were telling me I had a lack of insight, or was it that reflecting on their experiences somehow insight comes out? Because, I mean, again, going back to it, if insight is something which makes sense broadly, and I, I should say for these purposes, we, we, I'm not saying whether or not I personally have got views on this. I'm just trying to tease it out. If insight is something which is broadly understood to make sense, as it were, to psychiatrists, it's that, I mean, it's fascinating. I just sort of try and tease out whether you can help us with from your study.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, if there'd been a conversation, was it, you know, you're is it, as it were being accused of a lack of insight if we want to, you know, load it?
1: Mm-hmm. So I think it worked both ways, uh, but people had explicit conversations with the psychiatrists about insight. Yeah. And it sometimes seemed like the psychiatrist was having this conversation to help the person regain insight uh, but i have one example that is it's not in the paper but i think it's really interesting so it comes from a participant who actually is a psychiatrist themselves but also is a um used to be a patient so they um they said a story how when they were psychiatrist psychiatrist, they were they were speaking to a patient at the time who claimed to have an affair to be a mistress of someone quite famous in England. I cannot disclose obviously who. Um, and that she had a family and three, a husband and three children. And the psychiatrist who I interviewed as a as a patient, but um, the psychiatrist said to me, and I remember thinking, well, obviously you're not a mistress to this person but you do have a family, you do have a husband and and three children. And so um, the psychiatrist said to the patient, well, until you actually stop believing that you are a mistress of X, it's very difficult to help you. Um, And then some weeks later, everyone in the hospital was very surprised when that person visited the patient, because it turns out that the truth was that, the patient was a mistress of this person but she did not have a family she did not have children or or a husband and at that point um i remember the the participant saying you know this was extremely eye opening for them so it was extremely eye opening for them um to actually realize and, and question their own belief system and their assumptions about people's truths and what we should believe and what we shouldn't believe in uh, but very often what would happen is um, so this used to come up also with um, participants who had some religious background mm-hmm. uh, very often who would say you know praying was really important to them when they were in the hospital uh, but they were they would be told unless you you, you stop wanting to read the Bible and pray. Um, we cannot help you because you're not showing insight. So uh, as soon as you drop those things, you will show us insight because your delusions are directly linked to your religious beliefs. Um, it, it's really complicated yes. on so many levels uh it's really complicated on so many levels um but also you know there was uh, an experience that I, that I talk about in my paper of sophie so um sophie was someone who was told who really didn't want to be sectioned and actually was listened to because uh, she had a small child she was a single mom at the time and she really needed to look after her child and um, the psychiatrist said, OK, well, as long as you keep showing us insight that you believe you have uh, this illness and that you need treatment and that you will take the treatment at home, we will not section you. But when you start showing lack of insight, I will have no choice but to section you.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's so important. I mean, again, I, I, it, it's so important to think of of how those conversations might it's, it's both sides of those conversations it'll be just so interesting that you know to be able to see and so I, i'm not I, I, can i emphasize i'm not at all a, a challenging the methodology but one also nor am i suggesting that anything that, that the individuals you your participants you know in, in no way downplay what it is that they're saying but it's it's a bit like the mistress story Mm. You know, it's those valid, those bits of information being flagged up and how they're being used and what they're meaning to the various people involved and then how they're being used. As you say, that fascinating and it's such an interesting and such an important paper for them flagging up. Well, if it's been used as an extra legal proxy, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't formally feature in the Mental Health Act, then we kind of need to, at one level well, I don't know, it seems to me, but it's your it's, it's your paper and I really want your views on this. On one level, we need to come slightly closer to having a shared understanding of what we might be meaning by it so that there's a shared, uh, you know, if it's a term which is going to continue to be used, then at least it's a term which is mutually, in so far as possible, agreed on, as opposed to kind of unilaterally decided by one side or the other.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I, this is a really problematic um question for me because at the very basic level I believe that insight is experienced as unfreedom Uh, and what I mean by this is that it leads to negative experiences of mental health treatments. it really impacts the process of the mental health treatment and so it offsets the good outcomes that can come out of it so I'm not sure uh, also how welcome it would be uh, by people who um who are in the system no one spoke of insight as something useful helpful valuable it was always understood as this is the reason why no one believes me um, so I think we need to start thinking as lawyers and as, as mental health professionals and we need to start having a conversation about this Okay, I don't blame the psychiatrists for using insight in those contexts, because I think mental health law is an extremely complex uh, piece of legislation and piece of law. And we are asking mental health professionals to execute that law. And if you don't have much guidance, you will go by your professional expertise, which might include relying on, on the concept of insight. I would like to... Say actually that i think we should have a clear provision which states that insight should not be used as yes. a legal proxy for decision making
0: so i i know i, I, I in, entirely see where you're coming from and i'm just going to challenge you briefly on that if you say that won't it just mean the same mm-hmm. phenomena is relabeled as something else
1: possibly possibly but that's why i see Alex. that's why i think empirical research is so important because because we get this deeper understanding of what actually insight means in everyday practice of the law and if we actually really want to understand what it means and how it's experienced then if we pay attention to it maybe we can develop better ways of decision making in mental health settings that's do not have to rely on concepts like insight or that we, we do not need to develop new ways uh, of making decisions but maybe we actually start being more attuned to what people are saying to that self-knowledge they have about themselves um to the things they value um uh, to to what's important in their lives um and so yeah, and it, it's about this process outcome thing. Um, I think also it, it, the insight really disrupts that. And what I mean by this is that I argue in the paper that the process is almost more important than the outcome. Because what happened is that I spoke to a lot of participants who would say, my experience of mental health treatment is horrific. Oh. However, it, it did they did help me. But it was horrific and I wouldn't go back. So you had this discrepancy between people actually feeling like the treatment they received was helpful, but it was so horrific that actually it didn't matter that it was helpful. And so people would often say, and that goes to kind of self-binding, I would only go back if I knew that the treatment would be provided in a specific way that is not forceful, coercive, and is in a different environment. But unless I have this guarantee, I'm not going back.
0: Yeah, and I think that broader, I mean, that, that, that the point you make from your participants, I mean, resonates so strongly with the, the review of the Mental Health Act, you know, mm. which for better people have different views about it. But the single biggest theme of it was, A, the outcomes may well be, as it were, the right outcomes in many situations. But why does the experience have to be so awful? And as you say, so often that's linked to just simply not listening to people. And that's then awesome. B, listening. And then it's about... And I suppose we are drawing to a close, which is such a shame. I really not want to continue this discussion. But part of that is the place of the law in trying to deal with that. And I suppose part of it is I, I, I'm now rather a depressed lawyer or a cynical lawyer that I'm not sure the law necessarily can do things in a big bang way. And mm-hmm. so if you just simply said don't use insights... Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know whether I want I just really of so your kind of parting thoughts because I I, w- I I want you to end this is, you know, what what other mechanisms might be to, to be able to nudge. Practitioners to listen, as opposed to just saying, don't think it's almost like when you say don't think about the elephant all you can think about is the yeah. elephant. What is it? Yeah. You, think, you know, just just for in particular, bearing in mind that you've had such a rich valuable body of evidence from people who were spontaneously saying this you know if you could tell people I mean other than just please listen to what people are telling you which is just be a human but you know wearing your legal hat what tools do you think you know you could be using to try and get people to that zone
1: well so obviously i'm going to say this but advanced decision making mechanisms um and i really liked the idea actually of advanced choice documents that were proposed by the uh, the wesley review and also that featured in the earlier policy documents um a- in the government's response but actually are not in a draft mental health bill which is a real shame because they had this ethos of not just people stating what they want or what they don't want but actually um there was a lot about people's backgrounds so what was important to them you know like looking after their pets what's going to happen to their pets what's going to happen to the things that are important in their lives and actually having this i think would enable professionals to have more open conversations about what patients need in a specific circumstance. So that I think is a good legal mechanism. Uh, even if not fully legally binding. Um, But also thinking about human rights concerns as well. So really starting to view mental health uh, practices through human rights frameworks um, and developing new ways of supported decision-making and understanding that people in crisis are still people who have those things on on the outside world that are important to them and that they don't want those things to go away simply because they are unwell um so i think yes i think developing new mechanisms like advanced decision making but also thinking of all the ways of supporting people would be really really important i need to issue a correction because i just uh, my memory triggered uh, the participant who told me a story about the mistress was not a psychiatrist but worked uh, alongside the psychiatrist in the in the hospital setting this is just a correction that I needed to issue um yes. but yes um but, but yes.
0: The, 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 the point still stands that they were he in does. that, that he does. unusual but actually not that unusual position of somebody who mm-hmm. as it were being on both sides of the fence and that's Absolutely. It, it's quite so, common yeah well Magda thank you so much that was so interesting thank there you. was so much more I could have talked to you about but we're, we're out of time thank you very much indeed for, for talking to me today
1: thanks Alex thank you everyone